you would join me once again in the Gospel of John. Last week we began chapter 10. This week we look at the middle section of chapter 10. There is continuity in the content of it. Jesus continues to give us illustrations of himself and his work, particularly using shepherds and sheep and sheepfold. And so our text this morning will be chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak in it to us. That your word is not merely a description or information. But that by your word we grow and are changed and made more and more into the image of our Savior, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray this morning that you would use your word in our lives. Both to teach us more who Jesus is. To rely more upon him and to follow him and serve him. This we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. Perhaps the most fearful and tiring feeling is when we think we are on our own. That there's no one to help us. There's no place to turn. We have to solve all of our problems by ourselves. There's no one who cares about us, no one to help us. This morning, Jesus wants you to know that he knows that. He knows that you can have that feeling. And more than that, he wants you to know that he cares. And even more than that, he wants you to know 
that he knows you. He gives us a picture of that this morning in his continuing metaphor of shepherds, sheep, and sheepfolds. And so this morning, I would like us to see three things from our text that Jesus shares with us about a shepherd. First, he tells us the importance of the shepherd. Why we need a shepherd. Why a shepherd is important. And then secondly, he tells us that the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is crucially important for us. It is at the core of the Christian life. But thirdly, Jesus wants us to know that the shepherd knows the sheep. He knows the sheep deeply in a way better than the sheep could ever hope to even wish for. The importance of the shepherd, the shepherd lays down his life, and the shepherd knows the sheep. Let's begin then by looking at Jesus' instruction to us about the importance of the shepherd. And this chapter is a discourse on sheep and shepherds. Not the entirety of the chapter, but a good portion of it. We looked at one passage yesterday in verses, or excuse me, last week in verses 1 through 10. And now this week we look at verses 11 through 18. Jesus is teaching us about sheep and shepherds, but obviously we are not meant to take it literally. This is not a sermon how you should drive out into the middle of Texas and buy a huge ranch and start a sheep herd. That's not my advice to you here. That's not what the scripture is teaching us. By these metaphors, Jesus means us to understand more about ourselves. And Jesus also communicates more of who he is to us. He's giving us a picture so that we will know ourselves and that we will know him. And so it is important for us first to see where we are in the passage. And this has been true of the other I am passages, so-called, that we have seen so far in the Gospel of John. Jesus is telling us who he is. But that's not in a vacuum. You see, he is describing who he is because of our need. And so, for example, he says, I am the bread of life because we need food and sustenance. He says, I am the light of the world because we are lost in darkness. He says, I am the door because we need protection and a place to go. And so now he tells us, I am the good shepherd because we are sheep. So why does Jesus use this analogy, this picture? Why sheep? Well, Jesus is not the first to use this metaphor in Scripture. It is perhaps one of the most used metaphors in Scripture. More than 60 times in the Bible, this sheep-shepherd relationship is referenced. Sometimes it's referenced as an actual occupation. So, for example... In Genesis chapter 46, Joseph advises his brothers and his father to tell Pharaoh that they are shepherds so that they will be 
settled in the land of Goshen. They'll be separated off from the Egyptians. That is their profession. But it's also a metaphor for God and his dealings with us. In Ezekiel 34, God says, As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. God is comparing himself to the shepherd who cares for the sheep. And of course, we sang portions of Psalm 23, in which David declares, The Lord is my shepherd. But he doesn't stop there. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He anoints my head with oil. He prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Do you see what David is saying here? I can be surrounded by enemies and not be afraid because God is with me. God provides for me. He blesses me. He brings me sustenance and comfort and peace. And of course, this is not merely an Old Testament phenomenon. Because Peter speaks about the church and about how as leaders in the church, elders as under-shepherds, under the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus, they are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. He writes this in his first letter, the fifth chapter. So you see, there is a strong relationship between the picture of a shepherd and sheep and God and his people. Now, what are sheep like? Well, to some extent, they are autonomous. They can move around from place to place. They can chew and eat. They can go under the shade of a tree. But sheep really cannot provide for themselves. They are dependent on others. They don't know where and how to get food. They're dependent upon the shepherd to lead them to places where they can get food. And sheep are famously known for not making the best of choices. It is said that sheep will eat virtually anything. Now, if you're anything like me, growing up, perhaps you watched cartoons or read books in which that image would come in your mind of a goat. That if you put a, a tin can in front of a goat, a goat will try to eat it. That's kind of like what sheep are like. It's said that sheep are so uh, unwise in this sense that if poisonous things are put in front of them, they will eat it to their own detriment and die. They don't make the best choices. But another thing that we should know about sheep is that in spite of their inability to make good choices, in spite of their dependence, they also have great value. Especially in Jesus' day. Their wool is a source of clothing. Flocks are a source of food for shepherds. So they have great value. If you lived in Jesus' day, you would not measure your wealth by your 401k, or by your savings account. Or by the gold bars you have. You would have measured your wealth by how many sheep you had. That's how we knew Abraham was wealthy. That's how we knew Job was wealthy. Because of the flocks that they had. So they have great value. And what Jesus is doing is using this metaphor for us. He's drawing a picture for us to see. 
Because in order for us to see him as the shepherd, we must first see ourselves as sheep. We cannot understand who Jesus is apart from our need. Those things are connected together. So the shepherd is important for the sheep, and Jesus had previously given alternatives to the shepherd. And this highlights how important the shepherd is, how irreplaceable he is. Because the first alternative are robbers and thieves. We saw that last week. And their only purpose, Jesus tells us in verse 10, is to steal and to destroy. They may have different methods, but they seek the harm of the sheep. They're not there to care for the sheep. And this isn't difficult for us to see. Because everywhere around us, we have people who claim to be acting in our best interest. And yet they're not. They give us advice about what we should do or how we should live. Or what our moral standards should be. But it's not for our benefit. It's not for the benefit of our families. It's merely so that they can accumulate more power, so that they can have more authority, so that they can manipulate others. Now Jesus tells us in chapter 10, verse 5, that the sheep will not follow the stranger. They will flee from him, for they don't know his voice. And that is true, but if we're honest with ourselves, at times we can be confused. We can be deceived. No one wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I hope someone deceives me and takes advantage of me today. I hope someone robs me. I hope someone destroys my family and my health and my job. No one says that. And yet, that can happen, can't it? As people come to rob and to steal and to destroy. And the result of knowing this is that we know who the true shepherd is, and how important he is to us. Now, in this passage, Jesus gives us another alternative, the hired hand. Now, the hired hand is not of the same sort as the robbers and the thieves. He doesn't, he doesn't act against the sheep. He's not seeking to feed on the sheep. But he acts in his own self-interest. So long as it doesn't cost him, he will stay. But you see what Jesus says, that when the wolf comes, the hired hand flees. Because he makes a calculus. Is it better for him to save himself and his own skin or the sheep? And the sheep aren't his, so he runs. And he knows that if he runs, the wolf won't follow him. He'll just prey on the sheep. You know, there's an old saying. That if you are ever being chased with another person by a bear, you don't need to outrun the bear. You only need to be able to outrun the other person. And that's the mentality of the hired hand. He doesn't care for the sheep. They're not his. He just wants to get away and to be safe. And when dangers come, he abandons them. Now, why does he do this? It's because he has no relationship with the sheep. They're not his. Now, that may seem odd to us because when we think of a shepherd, we think of someone who is paid to take care of animals. But that's actually not the case. In Jesus' day, in the days of the Bible, 
The shepherd was the one who owned the sheep. They were his. They were of value to him. And he would, on occasion, hire others to assist him. Perhaps he had to go somewhere, or perhaps he needed to take a rest, or perhaps the, the flock was so large he needed assistance. But you see, the hired hand doesn't have any commitment to the sheep. Now, there will be plenty of people in your life that will give you advice that aligns with their interests. But what you need is someone who cares for you. Someone who knows your value. And that someone is Jesus. Now the second thing we see about the shepherd is that Jesus tells us that the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So not only does the shepherd not run, Jesus goes on to describe in depth as the good shepherd, what he does is he lays down his life for the sheep. And that is a voluntary action on his part. Jesus is contrasting himself, the good shepherd, with the robbers and the thieves and the hired hand. As the good shepherd, he cares for the sheep. And it's not just that he is a shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Now, this word good does not mean nice. For some of you, the good shepherd conjures up in your minds little statuettes of precious moments shepherds. You know, with the pastels and the big eyes and the staff that looks more like a Q-tip that couldn't harm anyone? That's good. It's nice. Dare I say even cute. That's not how Jesus is describing himself. The word good here carries with it the connotation of nobility, of worth. It is a word that has majesty to it. That Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one that you would want. If you had your choice of any, that's the one you would pick. But Jesus is also the good shepherd. He's not a good shepherd. There is none like him. Now, you should be getting this by now because I think in every sermon I've made from the Gospel of John, Jesus is making this point that there is no one like him. There is no substitute for Jesus. And so if you need someone to care for you, if you are a wandering sheep, if you need a shepherd, Jesus is telling you he is the only one. He's the good shepherd. And he describes himself with this remarkable phrase in verse 11. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, I think we're used to this kind of Bible language. And so we can miss its effect, miss its import. But I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. Of what real value are sheep compared to a shepherd? Would we really die for an animal? Has any of you ever said, I would die for my cat? Or I would die for my dog? Or better yet, I would die for my hamster. Have any of you ever even thought that? Well, of course not. 
Because if we think about the difference in the value of a person and an animal, now I want you to stop for a minute and think about the difference in the value between a person and God. It's not that animals have no value. It's not that people have no value. But the difference between God and man is so much greater than even the difference between man and animal. As a matter of fact, our value as people comes from the fact that we are made by God in his image. You might say our value is derivative of God's value. Now, think about what brought about the death of Jesus. Jesus makes it clear that he's not compelled to die. That the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says this over and over again in verse 11, in verse 15, in verse 17. This is not an accident. This is not a tragedy. Hurricanes like Harvey are a tragedy. We don't expect them. They happen. When my good friend Dr. Reeder died in an automobile accident, that was an accident. It was a tragedy. Jesus' death is not a tragedy. It's not unexpected. Jesus actually says the exact opposite. He says that he lays down his life over and over again. And then in verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me. It's not that Jesus was murdered for our sake. It's not even that Jesus was killed for our sake. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. It was Jesus' decision. He says it very clearly in verse 18. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus is the one in authority. Jesus is the one who is sovereign. The Jews in the mock trial, may have thought that they were the cause of the crucifixion. The Romans, as they set up the cross and nailed our Lord to it, may have thought that they were sovereign in the crucifixion. But Jesus tells us here that he was sovereign. It was his will, his accord, his decision. And he has the authority to do this. I have the authority to lay my life down. And I have the authority to take it up again. There could be no clearer picture of the sovereignty of Jesus Christ in salvation. And if we think about it, the entire purpose of Jesus' life on earth was to die for the sheep. He came as a baby... To save his people from their sins. Remember, his name was called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He set his face toward Jerusalem and would not be dissuaded. He went to the cross. That was the purpose of his life. And he wouldn't let anyone dissuade him from that. Do you remember when Peter has an outburst before Jesus? And he says, oh no, Lord, not for you. You should never die. Our Lord says, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking satanically. You're not in accord with my will and my father's will. And at the very end, our Lord submitted to the father's will. Knowing not only that he would be whipped, not only would a crown of thorns be placed upon his head, not only would nails be pressed into his flesh, 
but that he would bear the wrath of God. The sin that we've committed, the judgment that we have earned, he bore. Well, the second thing that we see about Jesus' death is that not only is it voluntary, but that it had purpose. Just as in the metaphor, the shepherd lays down his life for a purpose, so does Jesus. Jesus' death is what we call vicarious. That is, it was for another. Jesus did not need to die. Jesus never sinned. Death had no hold on Jesus. No one could place a claim on Jesus' life. If Jesus had not gone to the cross, he would never have died. Death had no hold on him. Jesus tells us that he laid down his life by his own authority. And Jesus makes sure that we know this, that there was a purpose in his death. He tells us in verse 11 that he lays down his life for the sheep. Now, those of you that have ever worked with a foreign language or who are involved with our English as a Second Language program will know that one of the most difficult things to learn in a language are prepositions. Because they're so crucially important. You can't understand a sentence if you mess up the prepositions. And prepositions are important in the Bible. And this particular preposition, for, has been called the most important preposition in the Bible. One theologian calls it the most important word in all of the Bible. It is a Greek word that means in another's place. It's language of substitution. It doesn't just mean for, for the sake of someone, for their benefit. It means for, in their place. When Jesus says he lays down his life for the sheep, he's telling you that the sheep deserve death. That they are guilty. That they have nothing to account for them. And that Jesus stands in their place. What blessed news. That's the heart of the gospel. Perhaps the clearest expression of this is in Romans chapter 5. Paul puts it this way. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for, same word, the ungodly. Not the repentant, not the faithful, the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What this means is that we as sinners deserve to die. But instead, Jesus took our place. And we also see that Jesus' death was very specific. Who does the good shepherd lay down his life for? Well, Jesus tells us, for the sheep. None other. He doesn't lay down his life for the goats. He doesn't lay down his life for the bears or the lions. He lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus knew exactly those for whom he died. It was those that he redeemed. The Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, on the cross had on his mind the names of all of his people. He knew and made effectual 
their salvation. Jesus was not on the cross hoping that someone would take advantage of his work and might be saved. No, Jesus died on the cross to effectually redeem his people. He paid the price for every sin that they commit. He redeemed them from guilt and shame. And he knew whom he died for because they were his. If I can put it to you this way, they were his before they believed. And they only became believers because they were his. And because he died for them and brought them, brought them to himself. This was not a theoretical redemption. Jesus did exactly what he purposed. Now, we might also see that Jesus' death was for his own purpose. We might often ask, why me, Lord? Why was I saved? I certainly don't deserve it. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, if you are aware of and familiar with your own sins, you have said that to yourself, maybe in the quiet, maybe out in public, but you have knowledge of the fact that you don't deserve what has been given to you. It is all by the grace of God. The problem is, is that sometimes when we think about whether we deserve God's grace, it leads us to try to find a way to show we're worthy of God's grace. We try to show that we pray more than everyone, that we read more Bible than everyone, that we evangelize more than everyone, that somehow we've earned what Jesus has done for us. I like to think of a vignette from a film. It's from a few years ago. Perhaps you remember it, though, Saving Private Ryan. And you may remember that the vast majority of this film, perhaps 95% of it, is an American Army Ranger squad pursuing to find and rescue Private Ryan because he is one of a set of brothers, the only surviving brother. All the other brothers have been killed in World War II. And so the American High Command says, we need to save this man so that his family has a child remaining to them. And so they go and they find Private Ryan, and at the very end there's a climactic battle scene in which the Americans fight the German army, and the leader of that American army squad, after he's been mortally wounded, looks at Ryan and he says these fatal words. Earn this. And then the scene flies by in a flash to a graveyard. And we see the gravestone of that man. And we see an old and craggy, decades from previously, Ryan. And he calls to his wife and he asks her feverishly, Tell me I've been a good husband. Tell me I've been a good father. Tell me I'm a good man. You've got to tell me. And she looks at him and she's shocked and she says, well, Of course you are. Why would you ask that? And he asks because decades later, he still doesn't know if he's earned it. And sadly, that's how many Christians act on the treadmill of life. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we think there is another shoe that has to drop. That somehow God will let us go unless we earn it. That we have to be deserving of grace, even though that makes no sense at all. But that's how we live. But the truth is, 
The why is found not in our goodness and our purpose. The truth, the why is found in the love that Jesus has for his people. Remember Romans 5. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So take heart. If you trust in Jesus today, know that he loves you. He loved you before you were lovely. He loved you when you were dead in your sins. The shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Well, the third thing that we see this morning is that the shepherd knows his sheep. Now, we might first ask, what does Jesus know about us? First, I think it is a wonder that Jesus tells us that he knows us. Because if we're honest with each other, we long to be known. We want others to know us. From our youngest ages, when we meet someone who we want to be friends with, the way we enter into that relationship, the way that we become friends, is by sharing who we are to them. We want them to know who we are, where we have grown up, what kind of foods we like, what sports we like, what types of books we like, what our family is like. We want other people to know us. And this is, I think, the capstone of marriage. Those of you that have been married several decades like I have understand what this is. That the desire of marriage is really not even to have your spouse complete your sentence. It's actually to have your spouse be able to answer the question in your absence as to what you would answer. Now, I have to say that some of you have been only married a few years here. You, you haven't reached that point yet, but you are on the road to that. That's the capstone of human relationships. But it's also true from even the youngest of ages. The youngest among us long to be known. We want others to know our name, to know what we like, to be, want, to be around us. And again here, Jesus did not die for people in the abstract. He died for his sheep. He has brought them to himself. And that is a part of being the good shepherd. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. He repeats it again. I know my own, and my own know me. That kind of knowledge is deep and true. This is actually one of those instances where the verse numbers gets in the way. I want you to take your thumb and I want you to put it over the number 15. Because the beginning of verse 15 clearly goes with the end of verse 14. Let me read it all together. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. What that means is, Jesus is comparing his knowledge of us to his knowledge of the Father, and the Father's knowledge of the Son. That means Jesus knows us even before we know him. He knows us more deeply than we know ourselves. And then he tells us that there are, in verse 16... Other sheep that are not of this fold. Clearly, I think, the other sheep here are the Gentiles. Now, for most of us, that is us. We are the Gentiles. We are the sheep of that other fold. 
Jesus went out and got us. Now, this is important for us to see. We often miss this because of the timing of our salvation. Jesus says these words here in John, and we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ now, two millennia later, and we think about the Great Commission and the work of the church and of missionaries, but who is it who commanded the Great Commission? It's Jesus. We think about the great apostles of the Gentiles, Paul, planting churches all over the world, Who is it that sent Paul to the Gentiles? Who is it that pulled Paul off his horse and showed himself to him? It's Jesus. Even more so, it is Jesus who sent his spirit, who equips the church, his spirit that is here now among us. You are here this morning because Jesus has called you. Because Jesus has given you his word. Jesus has been seeking his people and he seeks them now. Jesus knows who we are. He knows that we're different. Now, perhaps you're like me. I'm not much of an agrarian. I've always been a city or a suburban boy. I don't like to be on the farm. I'm not a farmhand. And so my view of sheep is probably more colored by cartoons than reality. And I always thought of sheep as kind of all the same size, fluffy white, that they all look like that. But actual shepherds will tell you that's not the case, that they're all different kinds of size sheep, and they have different kinds of wool, and they're different colors. They're different, they're diverse. They have different temperaments. Some are soft, some are snapping. Now I want you to think about the church. Is there any group in the world more diverse than the church? The church is made up of people of every language and every nation all over the world. And our church is a picture of that, isn't it? Look around you. We have people in our church from Africa, from Asia, from South America, from North America, from Europe, from all over the world we come. And what's the one thing we all have in common? It's Jesus. That's what we have in common. And Jesus knows not only who we are, but he knows we're helpless. Now, sheep are helpless. I think often you hear about this, the stories say that sheep are dumb, that they're amongst the dumbest of animals. I don't know if that's true, but I can tell you that sheep are not able to fight off predators. They don't have claws. They don't have horns. They can't fight off predators. And sheep, as I've told you before, will eat almost anything that you put in front of them. They don't know where to find the best pastures. And if a sheep gets caught out in the wilderness, it doesn't know how to find its way back. So, like sheep, Jesus knows that we are defenseless against sin and the enemy. So he's there to protect us. He knows we need to be led to proper nourishment. And so he gives us his word. Jesus knows us. He knows that we're useful. That sheep have value. If you think about that, sheep are valuable. They're valuable for the wool they produce. They're valuable for food. There's a reason why shepherds protect the sheep. 
wealth is tied up in sheep. But with us, it's even greater because Jesus sees the value we have as made in God's image. Well, why is this important? Why is it important that Jesus knows us? It's important because it ties us to Jesus. To know that Jesus knows us, really knows us, and that he still died for us, is humbling. To know that Jesus knows our needs and our weaknesses and that he provides for us is comforting. To know that Jesus not only knows our nature, but our one true purpose gives us hope. Because Jesus has saved us so that we might fulfill who we were meant to be. Jesus knows man's chief end. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so Jesus laid down His life so that we could experience our chief end. So this morning, come to the Good Shepherd. If you thought you could make it on your own without any need of Jesus, know that you were meant to be cared for by the Good Shepherd. You are meant to be known. There is no better place for you to be than in His care. Trust Him now. And if you have believed on Jesus, if you know him as Savior, then hear his words. Jesus is the one who laid down his life for you. Jesus knows you as intimately as the Father knows the Son. This should give you hope, confidence. Jesus is not an abstract Savior. He is your Savior. When life gets hard, remember that. Jesus will never leave you in hard times. He is not a hired hand. He is your good shepherd. Let's pray.